The North Carolina legislature has voted to turn school board elections into partisan affairs. That means in Buncombe County, candidates will have to run in specific districts as opposed to one at large pool, likely diluting Asheville's core advantage of population. It definitely does magnify rural populations. I think that was very much the in intention of the bill. Everybody's upset about this because it was an 11th hour addition. Warren Daniel put this language into it after it had passed the Senate and effectively when no more amendments to the bill could be made. I'm Matt Pikin, and this is The Overlook, a daily podcast about the news, arts, issues, and trends of Asheville, North Carolina. My guest today is Andrew Jones of the Asheville Watchdog. We talk about his recent reporting on the coming changes and potential impact to how school board elections are conducted. We talk about how these new district maps could be drawn and also connect what's happened here with broader incursions by social conservatives into what happens inside public schools. If you've spent any time on Tinder or Bumble, you know this scenario. You're on a blind date and it goes horribly wrong. I mean, horribly in a way you just can't get out of. That's the premise of Some Notes on Dating During Outbreak, a new stage play from Asheville playwright Travis Lowe premiering through the Sublime Theater. It's got a fancy restaurant, two hopeful people, and an entrapment by quarantine. What more could you ask for? Some Notes on Dating During Outbreak opens July 13th and runs nine performances at the BB Theater in downtown Asheville. For tickets and information, go to thesublimetheater.org. I began my conversation by asking Andrew Jones how the issue of school board elections first caught his attention. Late night when I'm seemingly off the clock after dinner, looking for something to occupy my time, I will turn on a YouTube live stream of a public meeting. And a number of weeks ago, that public meeting, about a month ago, actually, that public meeting happened to be Buncombe County Board of Education. I dropped in right at a point when there seemed to be, very heated, to be a very heated discussion going on. And you know, there are frequently heated discussions in school board meetings, as we might talk about a little bit later on. But they were talking about a bill that I really knew nothing about. And the more I listened, the more I found out that maybe some people on that board knew very little about. And so I waited for the video end. I rewound it. I listened to the Board of Education talk about what was going on. And that was my first introduction to House Bill 66. And some fantastic reporting came out from all of our local news outlets, WLS, Mountain X, Citizen Times all did fantastic stories on it. I wanted to know a little bit about the mechanics about how House Bill 66 came about because it was quick, because it was so fast. And so that was really my sort of jumping off point into this reporting. Now, just to summarize House Bill 66 and T tell me if I'm wrong. This is new state law mandating that the, the redrawing of the county's election districts and changing school board elections from countywide to specific districts. And that is new. Is that something that's happening or has happened already at counties throughout North Carolina? Or was Buncombe County singled out for yeah, this? Buncombe County is definitely not unique in becoming a county where elections for school board members will be held 
at a district level instead of at an at-large level. And this is from some relatively recent data that came out of Senator Julie Mayfield's office. 66 county school boards, including Buncombe's, were at-large elections before this bill passed. Uh, 15 had district elections and 19 had sort of a combo of both. And that has definitely changed. Over the past decade, the number of, of partisan school boards has tripled. And so there, is, there, there has been a very concerted push, I suppose you could say, to turn school board elections from something that is nonpartisan and much more at large to much more specific. And let's be clear about this. When you say they are partisan elections, so candidates run as either Republican or Democrat or independent. That is correct. Yeah. So when it's partisan elections, you either run as a Republican, an independent, a, a Democrat or what have you. And so that's becoming more and more the trend, although it's not it definitely is not in the majority at this point. Things are changing. From what you're saying, and your this story at least, by wanting them to be district oriented and not county wide, it seems to be a deliberate turn toward having partisan elections. Why is that? Let's talk about this on a local level, and then we can talk about it a little bit more broadly. Senator Warren Daniel was the person who added this language into House Bill 66. It was added in the late stages of the bill being developed. And what he told me in my reporting is that the goal of this amendment to House Bill 66 was to localize elections and bring candidates closer to their individual constituents. I think the intention, at least as stated by the Republican who helped shape this language, has been to connect voters more closely to their constituents, which is fair because if you're at a district level, I think there is a little bit more... There's more know, local geographic representation. Geographic representation, most, most definitely. But let's talk about the practical implications of this change. You were noting in your story that right now, the current board makeup, there are five Democrats, one Republican, one independent. Correct. My question is, if the bulk of people live in Asheville and the bulk of people in Buncombe County want to vote for more progressive candidates. Doesn't this dilute the population that's here? Doesn't it weaken the strength of population here and magnify, perhaps over magnify a more rural population in terms of their ability to have candidates on the board? It definitely does magnify rural populations. I think that was very much the in, intention of the bill. Again, specifically, as stated, by the way, the bill says you're not allowed to draw these districts along partisan lines. When I talked to folks who were in support of the bill, it was very much about emphasizing folks who live in a rural area. Now, I think we have to be aware that people in the city of Asheville, who are much closer to this urban center, vote for Asheville City Schools. And th there was definitely some expressed concern that people who are in a more the more urban center of Buncombe County are getting to choose candidates who are in more rural areas, but opponents of this bill said that that doesn't. <sighs> Let me clarify here. So, do you mean that can't that Asheville's population is deciding who the majority of school board members are in a way that affects rural schools, and that the parents of kids in those rural schools are having less of an ability to say who is on the school board 
even though they might have a different view of education, you can d- divide your, you can list out all the different issues that come up at school boards. Right. Is that what you're saying? Is that, that the argument was that people who send their kids to rural schools are not adequately represented? I think you're right there. Th- there was very much a sense of, we want to be careful about who gets to choose school board members in largely rural districts. And if there are a lot of people in more urban areas who are getting to choose those rural school district representatives, then that is a concern to us because the concept is, we're frank about it, that the closer you get to an urban center, the more blue, the more Democrat you start to look. Right, but they're not choosing candidates for those districts because there weren't districts before. It was just countywide. Yeah, it was just at-large. It was just at-large voting, yeah. And again, the contention is Asheville City Schools and people who live here in the city of Asheville and the city of Asheville boundaries vote for candidates who are on the Asheville City School Board and people who are not living inside the city of Asheville vote for people outside of Asheville. It also said in your story how the law requires voters to choose candidates only living in their own district. So you can't vote for other candidates who are outside your district. So that also thins the voting pool for any progressive candidate, I suppose, right? It could. We don't know what the lines are going to be yet, quite frankly. But this is going to be the big thing. And this was the contention that I wanted to address in in my piece. We don't know where these lines will be drawn. So we don't know what type of voters will be inside these districts. You can assume a lot that maybe the lines will fall along the school districts as they exist right now, which would be one thing, certainly. But it the bill requires these lines to be drawn with census data along population lines. Yeah. And you said that in your story that the six new election districts, that they have to be of somewhat equal size. That it is wasn't, what the bill requires, yes. And it yeah. wasn't a fixed figure, though. There wasn't, no. So that leaves a subjectivity to how close it needs to be. It does. It leaves a little bit of a subjectivity. So there are two ways that this, is, that this could potentially come down. Way number one is that the school board, using local taxpayer money, Buncombe County taxpayer money, will hire a demographer and a lawyer, maybe multiple of both, to help decide what these lines are going to be using census data. Now, that is going to be a difficult process because there are some really interesting and goofy census situations in inside blocks. In some case, in some census blocks, you have a mix of both Asheville City School District and Buncombe County School District. So it's going to be very difficult for anyone to draw those lines. I've heard quotes for the price of this anywhere from $15,000 to Senator Daniel said that he or somebody say could be up to $100,000. We don't know. The other option is that Senator Daniel has offered his legislative resources and staff to help draw the line. This in itself is a sort of gerrymandering in a way, though. That's the kind of assumption on a lot of people's part. Michael Bitzer, he's the chairman of Catawba's, Catawba College's Department of Political Science and History. He's written a lot about redistricting in North Carolina. He said 
When we talk about redistricting, we're talking about the most partisan activity in American politics, because if you have the ability to draw the lines, you have the ability to determine who gets elected. And essentially, he says that if the ability to draw these lines goes to Daniel's office, that there is a possibility that these lines could be drawn in a way that office wants them to be. And so what the debate may be coming, and and we'll see what happens, is who will get the responsibility to draw these lines, whether whether the county will choose to contract with somebody and have a little bit more autonomy over that process, or whether Daniel's office will get the autonomy over that process. Why would Daniel's office have that? Just because he's the legislator that might have sponsored this bill that went through that pushed this, where is his control here? Yeah, I don't know if he has control at this point. That's not something that's been decided. He has offered his staff and he has offered his legislative resources to the Buncombe County Board of Education to do this process, but they have not made a decision as to whether they're going to do it. Now, let's think of it in terms of money. If they do choose to take Senator Daniel up on his offer, it won't cost us local taxpayer dollars. And the, indeed, the state has has many times offered legislative resources to do this type of work. So the temptation to, I shouldn't say the temptation, but I can see the draw in choosing to do in choosing a legislative office to to draw these lines rather than spending local monies on it. But that will be entirely up to the Board of Education. I don't know what it's going to look like, but... Is the um, Board of Education, they report to the County Board of Commissioners. That's correct, yes. And the County Board of Commissioners is an elected body. That is correct, yes. And so <laughs> it, the, the idea, just the notion, and tell me if I'm off on this, but the notion that the County Board of Commissioners through the County Board of Education of them taking up Senator's offer is laughable on the face of it because everybody would see politics in this and that if it's not in state law, if part of this new law does not mandate who drafts these Mm -hmm. districts, that if it leaves it up to the counties, these individual counties, why would any county commission, other than saving anywhere from $15,000 to $100,000, which let's face it, isn't that much of a county's budget. So why would they abdicate their responsibility in this? The Buncombe County Board of Commissioners has yet to speak on House Bill 66, as I understand it. I reached out to some of them and didn't hear back, but they have expressed opposition to this concept a couple of years ago when it first came up as House Bill 118. And that's when it was being piloted by then State Senator Chuck Edwards. And at that point, they all, they all, I believe they had a resolution that was added that was adamantly against this bill, but they at this point have not expressed, expressed any feeling one way or another towards it. So I think it remains to be seen how the Buncombe County Board of Commissioners is going to react to this. I would be surprised if they did not, if they did not weigh in perhaps in the form of a resolution on what decision will be made here. But I think you hit the nail on the head and say that regardless of what route is chosen to draw these lines, it is going to have political undertones to it. We'll see what happens.
Getting word out about your big event is tricky and challenging. You can boost a post on social media, but gaming the algorithm is guesswork. Broadcast and print outlets totally exaggerate their numbers, and there's no way to verify their audience. But I can tell you exactly the number of people listening to The Overlook and where they're based. Most important, my audience is actively listening. Look, that's you right now paying attention. And you can promote your fundraiser or arts event to other smart dialed-in Asheville people for as little as $40 an episode. Find out more by going to podavl.com slash advertise. How does this represent what's happening either statewide or nationally? And to me, you read about elected officials takeovers of schools, of boards of education, deciding what books can be and can't be in libraries, what curricula happens, who sets state testing standards, that kind of thing. Do you see this as all part of the same movement that's happening here of largely Republican legislators and legislative bodies working to take over what they see as the liberalization of schools? Yeah, it's a really great question and one that, to be honest, I was asking in the course of my reporting. I ended all the interviews for this reporting with, do you see this as a as part of a larger trend? And I was talking about that, Matt, and I really have to mention this because because of today. No, the broader the broader situation I asked my interviewees, I said, I want to think about this in terms of redistricting and Republican power in the state of North Carolina. And as you probably know, the decision over Moore versus Harper and whether or not legislative or electoral and line drawing power should be within the legislature or not, it has been a big debate inside the state, especially for the last couple of years. Today, actually, as of a little bit more than an hour ago, the Supreme Court made a decision throwing out Moore versus Harper saying, no, it is not up to the legislature to decide these types of things. And so I was asking, is this debate about schools part of that larger redistricting and gerrymandering debate that we're having as a state? And all of the elected officials that I talked to said yes most definitely so there's that the other aspect is what you actually asked about which was is this part of this i think a lot of people are calling it a culture war talking about the content of books talking about what is being taught in curriculum and i don't want to draw too much of of an equal sign between a not a now non-partisan district election that's going to be held for Buncombe County Board of Education and what's actually in curriculum. But again, I did ask this question, so I think there's it's fair to talk about them in the same breath. Number one, according to reporting from WFAE that I was reading, 42 of 115 North Carolina school boards hold partisan races right now. That many school boards have some sort of political undertone to them. So let's think about that first. Nationally, there is a really massive discussion about school boards and them being a, a the center of this culture war. And my colleague, Tom Fiedler, wrote about this last year for the Asheville Watchdog when local very politicized races for Buncombe County Board of Education were heating up and candidates who were endorsed by the Republican Party were on social media saying some very inflammatory and some pretty awful things, actually. 
And, and the way that my colleague Tom Fiedler phrased it is he said, school boards used to be this kind of sleepy background thing where you got elected and, you know, you did important work, but it wasn't headline creating stuff. Now it is because we're talking about such important issues. We live in a really charged age of schools being a battleground for ideology. And Matt, I believe it was, a, was about 30 minutes before this discussion about House Bill 66 in the Board of Education, people were talking about books that needed to be taken out of the school library. There was a very heated public comment period at the Buncombe County Board of Education meeting. So people know, and this is something I talked to Senator Daniel about, although he didn't want to get too much into this, but there is a direct connection between people saying, I want, as a parent, I want my ideological perspectives, I want my beliefs to be represented in the people that I elect. And if that means curriculum, if that means the book that books that kids read, if it connects to any one of these many issues that are being talked about in the culture war educational sphere, I want my representative to represent my beliefs. What I do know is what teachers, how teachers are being affected by this. And I want to point out an interview that I didn't include in my reporting was with Shana Peel, who's the president of Buncombe County Association of Ed Educators. And she says, I think it hurts teachers. She said, I think it hurts our staff. And most importantly, it hurts our students because the more that we see education as a partisan issue, the more divided we become. That's what she told me. That really strikes to the heart of the matter of why this is a story, really. And you said a little bit ago that some people expect and want to see their values and their beliefs represented now in terms of their school board elected officials. So when you're talking about the impact of having these partisan elections and school boards, you're saying at least some strong contingent of parents are saying that, yes, we want that. Yes. We, and that we're no longer in an era where we can trust these nonpartisan boards and bodies to represent the teachings or the value systems I try to instill in my kids. I can no longer trust this. There's a growing distrust of public education, or at least the efficacy of it, which is, a, which is tied in here in terms of people think public schools are failing and that this is where vouchers come in. So supplying parents with other options to send their kids, whether it's a voucher to go to private school or to a charter school. So it's again, it's disintegrating public schools from various angles. And I can't help but believe that by intentionally making school board elections partisan, this is part of the undermining of public education. That has to be part of this playbook. I don't think that anybody who is championing this move to partisanship would agree with you there that it's undermining anything. But I think we have to seriously consider what the people in positions of leadership are saying at this point. So in fact, the only Buncombe County Board of Education member who is a Republican was the person who most adamantly emphasized to me out of all the school board members that I spoke to is we leave politics at the door when we go and sit in that seat, essentially. And other school board members emphasize that as well. What their concern is that because politics has, is leaking into their world is that there is the potential 
of disintegration, essentially. I think what leaders who are experiencing this for maybe for the first time, like Buncombe County is, are saying, is we fear that a step towards partisanship on a school board level is going to lead to unnecessary and divisive situations that, again, is going to decenter our students. Remember, the most important part, the students and our teachers and our staff. Where do things stand now that this is law? When is the first election that will be a partisan election? When is that scheduled? We know that this this decision about where the lines are drawn will have to happen before the next school board election. The decision, the lines have to be completed by February 1 of 2024. I can't help but draw a comparable. You look at when North Carolina was ordered by the, at the time it was by the state Supreme Court at that time to redraw maps because they were gerrymandered. And North Carolina kept redrawing them and they kept getting rejected for being partisan. They kept redrawing and the same thing would happen. Same thing would happen. And then they basically, what was called run, ran out the clock and that they just had to use the old maps that they had drawn up because nothing new was approved. I wonder if the same thing can happen now where, okay, there's a mandate to draw districts for the first time and who has to approve these? Does the state legislature have to approve them? If the Buncombe County commissioners hold the responsibility of drawing these maps and they draw them in a way that the state legislature says that's not as partisan as we want them or it doesn't look the way we want them, we're going to kick this back to you. I wonder if they can still kick this can down the road to where, oh, we're just going to have to have a general election as we normally did because we can't approve a map. Yeah, such a phenomenal question. And it was definitely something in my mind as it was, yeah, it comes down to what the Buncombe County Board of Education decides to do. They are where the buck stops as far as these lines go. But when I talked to them, I asked that very question. I said, we know that we live in a state where the can has been kicked down the road, where cases have gone all the way to the state Supreme Court, and we've had to figure stuff out in the 11th hour. So I asked Bunk County Board of Education members if they feared that this would potentially happen. And they said, yeah, we're, we're worried that, we're, that the lines are going to be drawn, that they're not going to be approved, that they're going to have to go back to the drawing board, that it's going to be $15,000, then it's going to be $30,000, then it's going to be $60,000, then it's going to be $120,000. We know North Carolina's history when it comes to these type of things. And especially because... This is a great moment to emphasize that everybody's upset about this because it was an 11th hour addition. Warren Daniel put this language into it after it had passed the Senate and effectively when no more amendments to the bill could be made. So all you could do is what Representatives Ager and Prather and Rudow did was say, this is awful. This is a bad bill, I quote unquote from Lindsay Prather especially because this was whiplash and because it was so suddenly turned around that there is fear that the contention that existed when the amendment was suddenly realized will continue on once the lines are actually drawn. Our new First Look newsletter gives you just a handful of daily headlines from around the local media landscape to get you on your morning. We also have a weekly newsletter devoted to all things The Overlook that hits you every Friday. Both are free and available at podavl.com newsletter. And please support the show by going to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash theoverlookpodcast. 
I'd like to thank my guest today, Andrew Jones of the Asheville Watchdog. Today's conversation happened inside the BB Theater in downtown Asheville, which owners Susan and Giles Collard have been so gracious enough to open to me to record my interviews. Our theme music for The Overlook, Maker's Song, comes courtesy of the Asheville band The Resonant Rogues. The Overlook is a production of Podcast Asheville. New episodes are available every Monday through Thursday morning. I'm Matt Pikin, and I'll see you on the next episode of The Overlook.